Romans chapter 12, let's continue tonight real quickly, and I want to share with you the last two of the spiritual gifts that we have. I'm going to ask if you would please try not to leave the auditorium. If you need to leave, uh, please slip in the back so you're not disturbance to other people uh, when, they, uh, when you come back in. Romans chapter 12, and of course, just a reminder, the book of Romans is a doctrinal book of the Bible. starts off with sin, chapters 1 through 3. 4 and 5, how to be delivered from sin through salvation by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Chapter 6, 7, 8, talk about the sanctification process. Once I am saved, that, that's not the finished product. Now, God is in a work of cleaning and sanctifying me and you for his eternal purposes. Every saint ought to be a, a servant. Every member ought to be a minister. And to do that effectively, you need to be clean. Sanctification is kind of like what we did today. We had lunch. We cleaned off our plate. We, we scrubbed it down with soap, we rinsed it, we dried it, and we put it back in the cabinet. What we did, we sanctified that plate. We cleaned it and set it apart to be used. And that's kind of what God wants to do in our own hearts. He wants us to be clean, set apart, ready to be used again, uh, what God wants us to do. And, and, you know, some folks say, well, I'm just not very talented. You know what you can be is clean, <laughs> In a great house, there are many vessels. Vessels, he said, in a large house, there are vessels of gold and silver, some wood, some of earth. But when it comes down to it, when you want to drink out of a vessel, what's important is, is it clean? I'd rather drink out of a clean earthen vessel than a nasty golden vessel. And he said, Whenever, if you're, whatever you are, whatever God's made you good at, don't compare yourself to other people. Just realize your job is to be sanctified and clean. Uh, chapters uh, 9 and 10 speak of the sovereignty of God in relation to his people Israel and gives us classic verses on how to share the gospel with people and how people can believe and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Chapters 12 through 15 are about service. Chapter 16 is really a salutation at the end of the book. We're in chapter 12. Chapter 12 uh, begins with our relationship first with God to present ourselves a living sacrifice. Secondly, verse number three, it's our relationship with ourself, not to think more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly and purposely as God made and gave everyone a gift to use for his honor and glory. Verses 4, 5, and 6, 4 and 5 particularly talk about an understanding of cooperation, that you and I are to interact with one another. We're not in, we're not in, we don't want competitive spirits, we want complementary spirits. Uh, you want to work together, you want to complement. And then it goes into 6, 7, and 8, and they kind of tell us a little bit about seven spiritual gifts that are very applicable to you. They're practical working gifts that I personally believe that God has given every single person at least one strong suit. One of these are your strong suit. Now, some of you might have three or four that might be stronger than others. I think the more that we use our gifts, the more God uses our gifts in us. And I think we should, we should thrive in at least one of these gifts and, and strive for all of them and be good. You can't just say, well, I'm just not, uh, I'm not very merciful to people, so I'm not going to try to be merciful. No, you still need to do that. That's part of God's equation. Can't say, well, you know, I'm just not very strong, so I'm just not going to stand on, on be firm on, on biblical truth. No, no, you're still, you're still got to have the prophet in you. Well, I'm not a giver, so I'm just not going to give. No, no, every one of us, we can strive for all of them, but we need to thrive in one in particular. 
So how we relate to God, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to the church family and our spiritual gifts, and then how we relate to our enemies. And that is going to be their recompense, no men evil for evil, but only that which is good to the, to the, to the, to, uh, in the sight of God. That's verse 17 through the end of the chapter. And then how we relate to the government leaders, chapter 13. How we relate to weaker brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and stronger as well is found in chapters 14 and 15. So very much a very relational instruction that we see here. But so as to keep with our, our, our time tonight, and we're going to go on the activity in just a few moments for our 7-Eleven winners there, and I'm excited about that. Let's look if we can at verse number 6. The Bible says, Having then gifts, differing according to the grace is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So the first gift listed here is the gift of prophecy. And basically, a prophet is somebody, in my opinion, that has a passion for the truth. They want the truth to be known, to be propagated, to be gotten out, and to be held to. And every uh, church needs a prophet. We need men and women who just are very passionate about the truth. And they sometimes, it's a lonely gift, sometimes they have challenges uh, relating to other people because they kind of appear to be a stick in the mud. Uh, but usually they're very good at getting the gospel out. If you are a prophet, verse number 9. He said, if your prophecy is your strong suit, remember, let your love be without dissimulation. Don't be an arguer. Don't be a debater. Love that which is, uh, hate that which is evil, but love that which is good. So he said, you're going to have to learn there's some balance in there. You can't just go around always poking everybody in the eyeballs. You also need to pat some people on the back. You need to see something good things as well as some, as some negative things. We need the prophet to point out things because if a church does not adhere to his prophet, it will go sideways in a hurry. It will go off the rails doctrinally, and it's a challenge. Look at verse number, the verse number uh, next, verse number uh, six, nope, seven. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. And of course, this is the servant. This is the one who's the doer. And these are the, uh, you know, these are the folks that are just, they want to do something. God gives them supernatural strength to stay busy and get the work done. They don't really want to make a good thing. They want to make a good thing a lot better. They're looking for direction. They need usually a ruler, somebody to help them, kind of know what would be the best thing to do, and then they're all in. They'll get involved. I personally believe this is my strongest suit, uh, is, to be, is to do things. I want to do things. I'm not necessarily terribly excited about organizing things or or even in some of the other areas. But this is certainly one that I believe God has made me good at. And I have to understand that. This is, I, can't, I can't want myself to be something else. It's like the eyeball wanting to be the foot. You know, It doesn't work very good when you have an eyeball on the end of your ankle. <laughs> That's not what an eyeball is supposed to do. You know, it needs to be whatever God put him in the body and decide, okay, this is where I'm going to round. This is where God made me. If I'm not supposed to do that, then I'm okay with that. I need to figure out what God made me good at and enjoy that service. Well, if you're a ministry, he said, be kindly affectionate one to another and, and uh, tenderhearted, preferring one another. Make sure that you love your, each other. Don't feel like you're killing the big one because you work a little bit harder and you carried five tables and they only carried one. Uh, don't, don't, don't start start comparing your efforts in that situation. Realize that God made you different. Sometimes as um, uh, or, uh, someone who is a, a servant, oftentimes they can give that extra effort. They want to do that. They want to meet those needs and they can get frustrated with other people who don't carry their weight. 
in that in that way. Once a, every once in a while, I've carried a, been a pallbearer, even as a pastor. You know, there's not enough people to carry. And brother brother Dave Crutchfield, he's strong, but he can't carry it by himself most of the time. The casket. So we get some other people to help. But every once in a while, I have carried a casket with somebody, and they use me because of my height. They usually put me on the corners. And then, you know, there's some guys in there. And then once in a while, I'll be, I'll be struggling along. I'm thinking, why is this so heavy? And I'll see the guy beside me. He's going, eh, you know, I think, hey, carry your weight, buddy. Come on, man. Lighten the load here. And, you know, sometimes you've got, you've got guys just walking along, ah, you know, like that. And you're, you're like, ah, what is going on? Well, sometimes as a servant, you can get very frustrated with those around you who don't pull their weight. And he said, be kindly affectionate. Love them. What's the next thing it says here after the ministry? On he that teacheth on teaching, and those who are gifted to, to break down biblical truths, to convey them. Uh, we have a man in this church who writes Sunday school lessons, who writes lessons for a vacation Bible school. We have other people that can just take a complicated passage and, and put it out very good, and type it out, and put it together where it can be absorbed and, 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 and uh, retained. That's a great gift. People like a Warren Wisby or John Phillips or Brother Sorensen, uh, to name a few people that throughout history, they, maybe they weren't the great, even Matthew Henry, um, who has written many, many things. I, I'm, sometimes I look at their volumes and think, man, who could think to write that much, you know? But they're gifted teachers. If you're a teacher, what does the Bible say here? He says, I want you to be uh, not slothful in business, verse 11, but fervent spirit serving the Lord. Verse 8, he that exhorteth on exhortation. That's somebody who encourages and works with other people to produce Christ-like results in their life. This is a very important gift. It's a sacrificial gift. It's a tough gift, but it's helping people to make it. And boy, every church needs an army of people who are exhorters. And these are people who normally make good disciples. They help people where they are to take them where they need to go. You know, some folks, the prophet, they want to get people saved, but they're not really interested in helping them. They just, they're, 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 they want to go to the next person, get the truth out, get the truth out. Doesn't mean a prophet shouldn't disciple people. It just means that their natural tendency is not, they get frustrated with people easily. An exhorter, like Paul, till Christ be formed in you. I'm going to work with you till you are looking like Jesus. Till you are acting like the Lord. You're going to make this. God's going to, I can see gold glittering all over you. I think when I think about Miss Marlene Evans years ago, uh, somebody who really tried to work hard, to, she believed in you, and you wanted to do what she felt like you could do sometimes. I have been uh, in many classrooms, not only as a teacher, but as a student prior to that. And, you know, there's some teachers. I remember Miss Sarah Hall. She was my geometry teacher, my high school English teacher. I only went to the school for one year. It was my senior year. Miss Sarah was a widow. And her husband had died, and she was a good little school teacher, and she was up in years, didn't need the money, but she taught at a Christian school to be a blessing to the Lord and to us students. I saw her to be extremely, extremely um, passionate about helping people get it. And, and she had to be that way with me because I was taking geometry, and she kept talking about doing proofs and theorems. I said, no, we don't need to prove it. Let's just take it for what it is, you know. And oh, no, no, she wanted to prove everything, and she wanted to kind of go through all that. And, oh, I must have been aggravated. No, John, you, I remember sitting in the, in the classroom as a high school senior about ready to cry at 3.15 in the afternoon trying to figure out how to do these proofs and theorems and things of that nature. I said, can we just go back to plain geometry? This is just killing me. 
And uh, let me just find the circumference of something. How about that? And not have to do all these things. And boy, I was just, I was going through it with her. And she said, John, you're going to get this. Remember whenever I surrendered to serve the Lord, I would, that was several years ago, when I announced I was going to Howells National College and I was going to go into the ministry. I'll never forget uh, Mrs. Hall. She, uh, she called me one day on a Friday. She said, John, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know. I'm going to go on my bus route. He said, well, what, how about this? So what time are you going to do bus route? Well, I drive, and I'm taking Brother Greg Nelson with me. We're going to go visit the bus route. I was a senior in high school. He said, how about this? I'm going to pick you up at 10 o'clock. Can you just visit your route in the afternoon? I said, sure. And this, this uh, widow lady picked me up as a high school senior, and we went to the Goodlitz Mall, the Goodlitzville Mall there, and... Um, in Tennessee. I never had eaten a Chick-fil-A sandwich. It was my first time to eat one, and I ate that at that mall that day. It seemed like they, all the, the Chick-fil-A's used to be in malls years ago. Now they have their own things. But I went there, and she, she fed me a Chick-fil-A sandwich and, and, uh, and uh, sodas and, and, and uh, the fries. And we just sat, and she talked. She goes, John, I really, I see that God's going to use you. I know you're young. I know you're, you're still 17 years old. But I, uh, of all the teachers, the kids I've taught in these last several years, I believe that God's got his hand up on your life. And I want you to make it, John. I want you to keep focus on the Lord. I want you to love God. And I don't want you to quit. And you're going to get some negative things. And there's some of the kids, and she named off some of the kids in my class. She goes, they're not bad kids, but they don't have a heart for God. And I feel like you do, and I want you to make it. We finished eating. I said, okay, well, thank you very much, Miss Hall. She goes, no, we're not done yet. Let's go to J.C. Penney's. Went to J.C. Penney. I had never in my life, to my knowledge, had a brand new suit coat, but I got one that day. I got a gray tweed with patches on the thing. I felt I was big time. She bought me a regular tie like this and like two sock ties. I don't know if you remember those sock ties, but uh, they were, must have been popular. She brought me about two shirts and two pairs of slacks. And I would walk out there hanging these things. I couldn't believe it. I'd always gone just to, to thrift stores or find something to hand me down or someone would give us a, back, a box of clothes and we'd go through them. And I remember getting those, those clothes and I felt like, wow. I remember she getting me out of my house and dropping me off at the door and saying, John, remember, there's someone that believes in you. And God's going to help you. And I want you to get this. I want you to be used to the Lord. Now, Mrs. Hall's been in heaven for many years now. I remember my, my, my first year, I left a Bible on the bus. It was a John R. Rice reference Bible, and I loved that Bible. I took it to the Bill Rice Ranch when I worked there as a ranch hand. and took it my first year of college here, and I lost it. I left it on the bus. I went back to the bus company to get it. I looked through the bus, looked through all different kinds of buses. I was so disheartened. And somehow or another, Miss Hall found out. I told my mom, and my mom might have told her. I don't know, but she sent me a beautiful uh, Burgundy Thompson Chain Bible and wrote, wrote, to me, wrote a note, said, John, I want you to have this Bible. I still have that Bible to this day. And I'm just thankful for people that believe. And that's an exhorter. Exhorters are someone who sees beyond not what I am, but what I can be. And if you're an exhorter, you're going to need these three tools. Look, if you would please, at the verse number um, 12, when you read it out loud with me, everyone. Rejoicing, patient, continuing, so you'll need to focus on not hope, not, not what they are, but what can happen. Boy, in a marriage, a marriage needs someone that's an exhorter. Say, we're going to make this. And we're going to, not what we are, but what we can be. Rejoice in hope. Patient through problems. 
and then continuing instant in prayer. These are necessities for the exhorter. The next gift is the gift of giving. Look, if you would please, at verse number 8. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. This is just basically God has gifted some people with a real um, insight into financial things. We talked about that last week. And uh, God lets them see most of life through a, a financial lens. And they, they see the work of God. They're always thinking, okay, what can be done there? How can I help with that? What, what, is the, what is the financial burden there? And all over this room, there's not as many of you as there would be ministers, but all of us, the more we become Christ-like, and many of us have great gifts. Usually, you're efficient with your finances. You're organized. You're frugal on your own self, but you're oftentimes very generous with others. You scrutinize things, you look at things, and we talked about that last week. But for the giver, here's the admonition. Would you look at verse number 13? Let's read it together, everybody. Distributing, given. He said, I want you to look. If you're a giver, keep giving. You know, the enemy of, of so many things in Christianity is materialism. You know how you get rid of materialism? You start giving things away. When you start thinking, all you can think about is your savings, your savings, how much you have in your savings, I hope I don't lose my savings. You know what you need to do? Take some of your savings and give it to somebody that God wants you to give it to. That's what you need to do. And, and all that worry will go away real quickly. It, it is something that giving is an, an, uh, is an antidote to greed and materialism. When you're always thinking about your things, you've got to realize, okay, God gave you that stuff to distribute to other people. And uh, he says, I want you not only to distribute to other people, but in that verse, he also reminds them to um, be given to hospitality. Use what God gave you for the benefit of others and especially the kingdom of God. Now, the last two we'll look at tonight is the gift, if you would please, of ruling. Verse, verse number uh, eight, in the middle of the verse, he says, he that ruleth with what? Diligence. This is the gift of organization. These are people who are gifted to organize and to help other people in organization. A church is very blessed by people who have this gift. Now, because your pastor does not have this gift, this is not his main. Now, obviously, much of my life has to do with organizing and working with other people. But that's not my strong suit. But because it's not my strong suit, God, in his wisdom, has given many people in this ministry that strong gift. And that is to see a project, oversee it, a ruler. And you can look at a couple of things. I'll just tell you some of the highlights of ruling. A ruler usually or organizer can someone that can see a project to its finality. They can see it. They can see it happen. Um, they, they, they know how to make a look at a project and make it happen. Uh, we see, you'll see it tonight, Linda, uh, they're going to say a, a little thing about the ladies, uh, the ladies conference, October 6th and 7th. Well, some folks have gotten together, and they can see what's going to happen. They can see how this is going to be. Brother, Brother Eddie and Brother Abdel and, and Brother Ricky have gotten together, and they envisioned uh, what we saw last week at youth conference. You know, I, when they were explaining to me, I said, well, well, good, I'll be there when it happens, you know, and, and that's fine. But they're like, oh, no, this is going to be good. We're going to do this and this right here. And, you know, but they, they, they can see something, a project coming together. It's like the A-team in Hannibal. Remember him? You know? I love it when a plan comes together. That's, he's the organizer. And, you know, God has given that in the church family. 
People who can see something to come together. Now, they really need loyal followers. Anybody who's a real organizer needs to have a loyal worker and workers that help them. We have them in this ministry. We have people, and I don't want to start naming names, but, but a person who is gifted to lead, God gives them people who are gifted to follow. The people who believe in them and who trust them and want and want to make, they dream the dreams, and, and God gives them people to want to make their dreams come true. It's inside of us, and it's God's wisdom to do that. But a ruler does need loyal helpers, people that will climb over broken glass to get something taken care of for them. It's a part of the thing. They need loyalty. They're really good at delegation. People who are organizers and rulers are normally very good delegating. And they make things appear somewhat easy. What would blow my mind, I think, how do you do it? But if I had to do what they had to do, and they walk around, they don't have anything on their shirt, they're just, their tie is straight, they've done all this stuff. I think about my brother-in-law, Brother John Francis, you know, and he's gifted at this area. But, you know, he just, only 45 bus routes is all he oversees every Sunday, you know. And he drives a bus, and he fills a bus, maybe two sometimes, with his own bus route. And he, looks, he walks in here and looks like he stepped off a magazine. I can't stand people like that. Because he's my brother-in-law first, I'm just joking. <laughs> he's on vacation. I hope he's not paying attention tonight there. But I'm sure some devious person will make sure he knows what I said about him. Nonetheless, those are organizers, and they put together things, and it makes it appear easy. They're usually very detailed in how they see stuff, what needs to happen. They put things in print. They, they put what, what take place normally in that. And they're oftentimes very decisive. They make good decisions. And they're, you know, some of us, we're not good at making decisions. Uh, it's just it's a challenge for us. At least we don't think we're good at making We're not sure if we're good at making decisions, you know, that kind of a thing. But, but really, people that, uh, people that are organizers and rulers, normally God gives them, we're like, here's what we're going to do. Let's do this. When, they get, when people throw them, throw them problems, okay, let's do this and this and this. And then people go, okay, okay, okay. And they, they go get it done. It's a very gifted thing. Now, there are some things, and by the way, who in the Bible may have been very good at putting together a plan, working the plan, gathering workers, and getting something done? Who comes to your mind? Anybody? Yeah, Nehemiah. Nehemiah in the Old Testament, probably one of the most classic. And if you are a gifted administrator, you would want to study the book of Nehemiah. It, there's a, it's unbelievable. In 52 days, he hung 12 gates of wood. In 52 days, he repaired miles of, of, uh, of, um, of wall with people who didn't even know masonry. They wouldn't know how to, they weren't masons. They were not carpenters necessarily. They were just average people and had to do so with great uh, antagonistic obstacles. People who are continually making fun. As a matter of fact, they had to one time have a sword in one hand and a trowel in another just to fight off any people, to, to battle and to build at the same time. But he motivated the people. He was very gifted at getting things done. And uh, Nehemiah would be a great example of that. They usually can withstand negative reactions, and, um, and they make things look easy. Well, a couple of the weaknesses could be, and by the way, all of these are best served and optimally served whenever you're spirit-filled. If you don't present yourself to God, you're not separated 
you're not interested in the will of God, you're going to fumble all over this. It doesn't matter what you've been gifted to do. You cannot do it in your own flesh and be productive. Don't lean on the flesh. Rely upon the Holy Spirit of God and let the Holy Spirit of God use your strengths. You say, well, I'm good at this, I'll do this. You're going to fall flat on your ear. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine and lean not to thine own. Okay, this is a problem we have. We find out we're good at something. We, I know this. I got this. I know how to do this. I, I understand this right here. Just let me have it. Okay, that's when we mess up. He said, even things you think you understand, don't lean on your own understanding. And the process of here, of presenting ourselves to the Lord, being holy, acceptable unto God, was a reasonable service, understanding ourselves, not thinking more highly than we ought to think, loving the people around me, that is the platform in which I can use my spiritual gift to its capacity. If I just say, well, I'm getting to this, I got this. Well, you're going to fall, you're going to fall, and you're going to hurt people in the process. Some folks who use this gift without the Holy Spirit's help, they try to do it themselves. I'm not saying God cannot use them, but it's not the same. They oftentimes will find themselves, they look at people more as resources than individual needy people. Well, I'll get them to do this and this and this and this. They oftentimes can become lazy and avoid work by delegating other people to do menial things, and they don't, they're not willing to get in there and do it themselves. Other things that can come, they, they think of projects more than people, and sometimes they struggle with appeals to work with someone else's project. Sometimes a person who's a gifted ruler, in their realm, if, they're, if it's their project, they're all in. But if it's someone else's project, they're not interested. And it takes a selflessness. It takes an understanding of the big view to be effective on that. They, they, they will work on their project, and they'll get everybody to work on that, but if it's somebody else's project or some other thing, they don't have the maturity or the spirituality to say, you know what, that's not my billy wag, but this is this one. What can I do to help make this happen? And that is something that we can do in the, in the flesh. And so we find here the, 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 the ruler. The rulers are very valuable to the house of God. The last one is mercy giving. And let's look at the, what the, and by the way, let's look at the, um, Verse 14, that is the admonition to the ruler. Let's read it together. Ready? Bless them that bless and, okay. So if you're a ruler and you pop your head above the crowd to give some direction, guess what's going to happen? You're going to take some pot shots. People are going to get in your way. Some will say, you're not going to tell me what to do. You just delegate. You're not doing anything yourself, Okay. He said, well, it's going to turn, a person who is an organized person at getting a project done, they're the ones who will say, leave, follow, or get out of my way. And he says, look, if, if you're a ruler, keep it in check. Bless those that kind of give you a hard time, push up against you. Bless and don't curse. Don't get angry with people. Learn to understand, okay, this is God. And really, if you say you're leading and no one's following, you're just taking a walk. And so rulers are not rulers just because they have a position. They're a ruler because God has given them that opportunity to work on that. And they're following along uh, with, with the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But great, great effort and great attempts to glorify God are done through an effective leader. We'll stop with this tonight. But these six gifts, the prophet, the minister, the teacher, the exhorter, the giver, the organizer. If you will evaluate this, you'll say, man, God is so smart. 
to put that into a church family. And then teamwork makes the dream work. When everybody does what they're supposed to do. Several years ago, the New England Patriots had a real dynasty going. But in the early years of winning the Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, they won their Super Bowl and had zero people on the first string Pro Bowl. Nobody made the Pro Bowl, but the team won the championship in the Super Bowl. I think a couple of them got to go maybe later because of something else, but they, didn't, they, they were nominated because someone else fell out. But you know, that, that is a beautiful testimony because there were no hot shots. Everybody, the receiver caught the ball. The runner, the running back ran with the ball. The blockers blocked. The tacklers tackled. The quarterback threw. The coach coached. The water boy squirted water. Everybody just did what they're supposed to do, and at the end, they held up the trophy. And nobody was the hero. Everybody was the winner. You know, that's somewhat we want to do, except we want Jesus to be the winner, right? We want Jesus to get the glory and the honor, and we just get the opportunity to work with him in the work of the Lord. Let's